Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Family, let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Family, if you would lift your Bibles up, we want to say our Bible confession. Before we get into the Word of God, we want to just make this confession. This is my Bible. It's a personal thing. Let's go. <laughs> you, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, we are in a conversation that's already in progress. It is focused on the series, The Peace Within. We also have started a sub-series called The Door. I know what I told you last session, that today's session would be the final session of both the sub-series and the series. Well, I spoke too soon. We will have another session on this afterwards. Nonetheless, just moving forward, there were three main messages that we kind of pulled out, even though we talked about many things. Here those messages are graphically. Right in the center of your screen, Jesus says, I am the door. He said that in John 10. He also said in John 14 that nobody can come to the Father except they come through me. So it's clear that he is the door to God. The second message is, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a commission, a co-mission, something that you and I are going to do together. And what that mission is, is you're going to help others get to the door by being the door to the door. As the door to the door, that means you and I have the responsibility to not just usher people towards Christ, but to be a door that's welcoming to other people. You can't just be any old kind of door. Your door's got to be welcoming, not stink, not funky, but welcoming. Now, the other message is this. For your door to be as, as effective as it can be, it behooves us to get our door in the place God wants our door to be. Yeah, you can reach people anywhere, but you reach people better where God wants you to be. And he can send you to one or two generic places. And he can send you to a familiar place or an unfamiliar place. We were talking 
last session about the door himself, Jesus. And in talking about the door, the main door, we said Jesus, when he stepped on the earth, he, he, he kind of came across at least three things that were unfamiliar to him. What were those three things? Here we go. Being birthed into the world as an infant, that was unfamiliar to him. Even though he was God, even though he was son of God, even though he is a person, an entity that's always been, that was new to him. Living life out in the flesh, the feelings and all that stuff, new to him. We touched on those two bullets the previous session. This third bullet is what we're talking about today. His unfamiliarity with the experience on the cross, or what I prefer to call the cross journey. I'm going to give you a little quick comment for your notes. We're going to talk about Jesus today, but as we talk about Jesus, I'm going to embed, weave in some items that apply to you whether you are in a familiar place or an unfamiliar place. So be sure that you write down what fits, what hits you, what strikes you as something that's for you. When we talk about this cross journey, I want you to know that whatever Jesus did to become the door, it took a journey. It did not happen solely at the cross. It took a journey. Look at this image. What allowed Jesus to be the door was the culmination of all of his life experiences, not just the cross. I know when I say that, it may make some of your theology a little uneasy because in your mind or maybe what you've always been taught of what you've always believed is Jesus bought my freedom at the cross. And that's, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that. What I am saying, though, is that it's broader than just the cross. The image you have before you, for those of you who just listened to this on audio, is a horizontal line. And that horizontal line, as you can see, has some, I'm going to call it some markers that are the events that happen in Jesus' life. We got some early two, the virgin birth, him being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff that went on in between there. And then towards the end, we have the Garden of Gethsemane. We have the cross we have the resurrection. To be clear, I am not downplaying or diminishing the work of the cross. I would be foolish to do so. The work Jesus did on the cross is unprecedented. It's unequal. It's unmatched. It was necessary. Doggone it, it was required. But for me to say that the cross is anything but 
a required, necessary, fantastic work would be very foolish of me, and I would never, ever say that. But what I am saying is that he did not become the door through the cross alone. Jesus' work to become the door didn't happen at the cross. It went through it. Am I going to explain myself? Yes, I am. And we're going to start that explanation where we, us, where we left off last time, which is Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. Let's go. This is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, the Amplified Classic. Now, we've already read this portion, and so we're not going to read it again. Just leave it there for your notes. The highlights are this. For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus fasted. And not just on day 40, but on day 1, day 12, day 22, day 39, the devil tempted him. And when he got to the day 40 and he, was, he thought Jesus was completely drained, then the devil brought out his three big offers. Well, that's how the devil does it. He's going to save his most tempting offers for you when you're at your weakest or when you're the most vulnerable. A quick note about being vulnerable. A lot of times we think about being vulnerable, we compare that to weak. But that's not always the case. You can be your most vulnerable when you're your most successful. Because when you're your most successful, you get what they call in my country vernacular, the big head. You don't need nobody. You got that on your own. You can do this by yourself. Can't nobody touch me. That's exactly when you can be touched. He will get you your offer when you're at your weakest or most vulnerable. But moving from beyond this point, then the devil said to him three things when he thought he was at his weakest. What are those things? Here we go. Same chapter in Luke, verses 3 through 12. Understand whenever the text is tiny, we're not really reading that, but it is there for your notes. The big text, test, test, text. Notice, we have the word then highlighted three times. Then the devil said something. Then the devil did something. Each then represents the devil getting ready to give him an offer. There are three of them. And what people will tell you that teach on this, commonly they'll say those three offers covered the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But what were those offers? The first offer was this. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, order this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. And Jesus replied. His offer was turn this stone to bread. And Jesus replied. We're not really interested today about what Jesus did to reply. Just know he didn't go for the offer. The second offer, then the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the habitable world 
And he said, I will give all this stuff to you in all their authority and power and glory, in their prominence, in their excellence, in their dignity, in their grace. I'll give all this to you if you will do homage to and worship me just once. Everybody say just once. We're going to come back to that sookie, sookie, just once. And Jesus didn't bite. The third one, he, the devil, then he took him to Jerusalem and set him on a gable of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, cast yourself down from here because the Bible say God going to catch you. Jesus didn't bite. Family, lock in on just once. Even though the Amplified Classic puts just once after offer number two, realize that that just once, those two words, applies to each offer. When you are pursuing what God wants you to do, when you are going about your calling, and hey, doggone it, when you're just going about life, the devil, Satan, his plan to hinder what you're doing, his plan to taint the good that God's trying to do in your life, does not require repetitive disobedience from you. We think that. We think somehow there's always a do-over. There's always a second chance. There's always another try at that thing. But the devil doing his damage to your calling and to your life does not require repetitive disobedience. Often, it requires just once. Notice this image. Just once. It only takes one time sometimes to spoil what God has going on with your life. Just once. As it relates to your calling, just disown your God just once. Speak unbelief just once. Put your trust and confidence in your own efforts and your own ability just once. Put your faith in unrighteous mammon just, just once. For your personal life, go ahead and release those hurtful words in your husband's ear just once. Speak those words to your wife that's going to crush her spirit just, just once. She, she's earned it, hasn't she? Just speak just once. Tell that to your child just once. Have that extramarital affair just, just once. Just once. Cheat on your taxes just once. Steal it just, just, just once. Take the money just, just once. Try the drug just, just, just once. Drink it just, just once. Just once. Often, 
it only takes one time. You see, the deceptive part for the devil is that to get you to try to convince that one time has no impact. But one time could be the beginning of the ending to your calling. It could be the beginning of the ending to your marriage. It could be the beginning of the ending to your family. It could be the beginning of the ending to your business. It could be the beginning of the ending of anything that God is working out good in your life, all because you could not resist one time. One time. Just once. Two very deceptive words when paired together. And if you fall for the just once, what you are fooling yourself into thinking is that there will not be a lifetime of ripple effects because of what you've done. He says, worship me just once. Turn this stone into bread. I'm throwing in there just, just once. Jump off of this high place on, the, on this temple. Just, just, just once. Just once. If you fall for the just once, realize it does not take repetitive disobedience. It does not take a repetitive error. Just once could be the beginning of the ending. Now, Jesus does not fall for the just once. He successfully, from a God-submitted position, resists or fights off the devil's offers. But what does Luke tell us? Look at this, the end of this whole wilderness experience. Luke 4, Luke 4 verse 13, Amplified Classic, says... And when the devil had ended every, the complete cycle of temptation, so not just the little things, all the time, he temporarily left him, that is, stood off from him, until another more opportune or favorable time. So after he had ended the complete cycle of temptation, so he tested him all kind of ways. Jesus successfully passed the test, but that don't mean the devil gave up trying. All he did was stood back a little bit in the cut, as they say, and watch for a better opportune time to catch him when he was either at his weakest or most vulnerable. Luke tells us bluntly, Doggone it, the devil just, all he did was waited for another time. And the Bible shares in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we can trust what Luke writes here because the devil was always after Jesus. Here is one such example. The devil didn't give up. This is John 11, voice, the voice translation, verse 45 through 53. 
We are going to read this, in case you're wondering. I know you're thinking, that's a lot of words, Pastor. But we're going to read it because it's, 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 it's important just to get the context. It's really a lot for me to summarize, so let's just get to it. As a result, as a result of what? All Jesus did was raise Lazarus from the dead. That's not a bad thing, but oh my Lord. As a result, many of the Jews who came with Mary saw what happened and believed in him. But some went to the Pharisees to report what they witnessed Jesus doing. What, raising a man from the dead? Come on. As a result of these reports, and on short notice, the chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the high council. Pause. Sometimes when you're doing what God calls you to do, the devil will call a meeting on you. He'll begin to scheme. He'll begin to try to work out a plan. All because all you doing is doing what God called you to do. But don't ever think that when you're doing what God calling you to do, there's not a meeting in a boardroom somewhere else trying to trip you up. Here we go. They called a meeting of the high, not, not just any council, but the high council. The Pharisees started speaking. What are we going to do about this man? He is performing many miracles. If we don't stop this now, every man, woman, and child will believe in him. You know what will happen next? The Romans will think we're mounting a revolution and will destroy our temple. It will be the end of our nation. Here's the high priest finna talk now. He says, you have no idea what you're talking about. What you don't understand is that it's better for you that one man should die for the people so the whole nation won't perish. perish. His speech was more than it seemed. As the high priest that year, Caiaphas prophesied without knowing that Jesus would die on behalf of the entire nation and not just for the children of Israel. He would die so all God's children could be gathered from the four corners of the earth into one people, one, into one people. In that moment, they cemented their intentions to have Jesus executed. Why do we read all that? Because the devil never stopped after the wilderness moment hunting Jesus down like prey. It's important for us to get that he just didn't walk away from the wilderness and then went frolicking through the meadow with no problems whatsoever. No, this is just one example that tells us clearly Jesus had a bullseye on his back his whole life. But Jesus stayed the course. Keep that in your mind. Bullseye on his back, but stayed the course. Now, just before his crucifixion, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's another big landmark we had on our horizontal line. Here we go. This is all going to tie together, I promise you. Matthew 26, verse 36 through 39 in the easy to read. Then Jesus went with his followers to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go there and pray. He told Peter and the two sons of Zebedee to come with him. That's his main three. 
Then he began to be very sad and troubled. Jesus said to Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, my heart is so heavy with grief, I feel as if I'm going to, if I'm dying. Wait here and stay. What are those three words? Awake with me. Oh, my goodness. Wait here and stay awake with me. Then Jesus went on a little farther away from them. He fell to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, don't make me drink, drink from this cup, but do what you want, not what I want. Jesus is praying to God here because he is feeling the weight and the pressure of the moment. The weight of the sins of the earth on his shoulders, he's feeling it. He's in a mortal body. He knows or at least perceives what could possibly be getting ready to happen to him. And let's face it, being in that mortal body, feelings and emotions crop up. He's feeling it. And he's asked something of his disciples. Let's go ahead and finish this. This account. Verse 40, he then went off and prayed one time. He's going to do it two more times. But this is after the first time. Then he went back to his followers and found them what? Sleeping. Good Lord have mercy. <laughs> found them sleeping. Don't lose, don't, don't miss that. We're going we gonna to make sure you don't miss it, but don't miss it. Found them sleeping. He said to Peter, could you men not stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray for strength against temptation. Your spirit wants to do what's right, but your body is weak. Then Jesus went away the second time and prayed. He said, my father, if I must do this and it is not possible for me to escape it, then I pray that what you want will be done. Then he went back to the followers again, found them what? sleeping men. They could not stay awake. So he left them and went away one more time and prayed. This third time he prayed the same thing, basically. Then Jesus went back to the followers and said, are you still sleeping and resting? Yeah, they were asleep. This time, the time has come for the Son of Man to be handed over to the control of sinful men. Stand up. We must go here comes the one who will hand me over. Oh, loved ones, there are times when you are doing what God has called you to do. And the people that you thought you could depend on are not there when you need them the most. He said, stay awake with me. They sleep. He said, pray with me. They sleep. The people that you depend on or think or thought you should be able to depend on in your most vulnerable, needful moment can be a no-show. Not show up at all. And their reason? 
I was asleep. I was tired. I forgot. Something else came up. But I'm supposed to be able to depend on you. Can, can we go a little deeper? I say, can we go a little deeper? Yeah. Are you wanting to go a little deeper? Let's go a little deeper then. I had the pride out of you, but I appreciate your answer. <laughs> it just means you're listening. I appreciate it, though. Not making any joke of it. <clears throat> Family, when I say no show, I want to make crystal clear that you understand I am not that we are separating no show from the presence of. What do I mean by that? Jesus brought these men with him. They're there, but sleep. He brought these men with him. They are there, but not really there. You see, you can be there with me, but not really there with me. Let me, let me say it another way. You do not have to vacate my presence in order to leave me. You can be in the same room with me. You can be looking me face to face, eye to eye. And at the same time, you done left me. You done left me. You done left me to deal with it by myself. You done left me to carry the weight alone. You done left me to fight the battle by myself. You done left me to get through it by myself. Even though you're present, you've left. Jesus brought these men with him. They're present, but doggone it, they've left. They've left. And now get this. Go back to when we first started this account. So I forget what verse that be for 30. Yes, yeah, go, yeah, go, yes, that one. Matthew 26, right here in verses 36 to 39. I want you to notice something. Jesus brought his, his big three. He leads in by saying, my heart is heavy with grief. I feel as if I'm dying. Then he says, wait here. The gravity of the situation should be clear if you're really there. Well, you didn't tell me the gravity of the situation should be clear if you're really there. You're only not seeing the gravity of the situation if you're not there. Oh, you can be present, but not there. 
the gravity of the situation. What are you talking about, Pastor? This is not coming from your Uncle Buster. It's coming from Jesus. Jesus is saying that. Jesus is saying, I'm heavy with grief. Jesus is saying, I feel like I'm dying. Jesus is saying, my heart is heavy. This is Jesus. Water to wine, Jesus. Walk on water, Jesus. Heal the sick, Jesus. Raise the dead, Jesus. Calm the storm, Jesus. This is Jesus saying this. Fish and fire loaf, Jesus. Faith of all faith, Jesus. Will causing a plant to wilt when you come back through, Jesus. This is the Messiah telling you that he's heavy with grief. There had to be something on his face. Something had to be different in the air. The only way you're not noticing it is you're not paying attention. Right? You're not there. Sometimes the people that you feel you should depend on the most could be standing face to face with you, clueless, because they ain't really there. They're supposed to help you with your mission, help you in your life, help you get through it, but they're not really there. But Jesus is dealing with it. We're, 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 we're looping in us, but he's dealing with this. They're present, but not really there. Take us back forward. Yes. He has people that in his mind he should be able to depend on. But in the moment that he needs them the most, they're not there. Now, let's go ahead and just say, regardless of the reason, for all practical purposes, they're a no-show. And notice something. Each time he goes back, he goes back three times, he finds them asleep. Here is, here is what I believe. The Bible doesn't say this. Here's what I believe. This is what your pastor is saying. Here's what I believe. Don't tell nobody that I found this between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because I didn't. I'm just telling you what I believe because Jesus at this time is human. Me being a human know how I would feel. No, I'm not Jesus, but obviously from this account, he does have emotion that feels like me. So I'm going to inject. And I'm going to inject this, that Jesus, by the third time, he went back and found them jokers asleep. I know that he said, now they're coming to get me. But if he had went back anymore, like if, if Judas and the crew never came, I think by the third time, he would be about through with them. I would say by the third time, he would be whatever Jesus would say to, when he was mad, he'd be ready to say it. But here is, here is the internal belief that I want to share with you that's going to rope you in. I believe in my heart of hearts when Jesus went back the third time and he saw them sleeping, he conceded in his own self that you know what, I got to do this alone. I, I, I really believe 
as much as he wanted help, I think at some point in time he came back with them snoring and carrying on. You know how it is, sleeping hard, you know, doing all wiping them off and everything. That he, he, he conceded within himself, I got to do this alone. Loved ones, sometimes when you live in this life and you're doing what God called you to do, you come to the point to where you realize some things you got to just do alone. And it's not because you want to do it alone. But it's because the people you thought you should be able to depend on most are a no-show. But let's not dismiss our humanity because our humanity still craves something. What is that? I want you to read this with me. We understand that certain parts you got to go solo, but from the human aspect. Read this with me. Let it, let's go. Whether you end up in a familiar or unfamiliar place, there are times in your assignment that you would give anything to have help in the natural. No matter whether you are doing God's calling in a familiar place or an unfamiliar place, no matter if you're doing life as a parent, as a spouse, as a professor, it doesn't matter. There are times in your life, just because we people, that you would give anything to have help in the natural. My brother, you got the Holy Ghost. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm not discounting that, though. But if you were honest with yourself, there are times in your life that you would give anything to have help in the natural. Help from your mama. Help from my daddy. Help from my husband. Some help. Help from my wife. I would do anything right just just for some help. It can come from my sister. It can come from my brother, my auntie, and my uncle. Just give me some help. It can come from my best friend. Shoot, my pastor can come through. I just need some help. Anything for some help in the natural. Somebody that I can cry with. Somebody that'll hold my hand. Somebody that'll help me when I'm scared. Somebody that can do this life with me. I would give anything for just some help. If you were honest. Although there are certain parts of what God has called you to do, of what you got to go through in life, that you got to do it solo, you would do anything for some help in the natural. In other words, there are times where you realize that if this thing is going to get accomplished, it's just up to God and you. 
And just because you realize it's just up to God and you, it does not remove your inner feeling that, my God, I could use some help. Both of them stay. <clears throat> At this point, I believe Jesus is like, well, Daddy, it's just you and me. And knowing it's just you and me, Jesus still did not quit. He moved forward. He allowed himself to be arrested. He allowed himself to be dragged from court to court. He allowed himself to be tried. He allowed himself to be falsely accused. He allowed himself to be spit on. He allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to be tortured. He allowed himself to be whipped, as Isaiah says, to the point to where he was not even recognizable as a man. He bled. He carried his own crucifixion beam, at least part of the way. He allowed himself to be nailed there, hung high and stretched wide, as they say in the Baptist church, until he died. <laughs> but he didn't stay there because on the third day, I, he got up with all power. I said, all power in his hand. Can I get a witness? Yeah. You know what I mean? He got up. He got up. Family, we've gone through a few accounts of Jesus' life, and there are many more we could tackle. But I believe the few that we've gone through is enough to make, to validate, to stamp the point that we're trying to make. I begin by showing you a horizontal line. A horizontal line that had Jesus and some of the things that had happened in his life. And I made the contention that, hey, in order for Jesus to become the door, that didn't happen at the cross. The cross was a part, but it didn't happen at the cross. Let me now show you that same set of events, but with a truer depiction. Notice. Same events. But now the line is not horizontal. It's jagged. It is as life happens. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. He was born a virgin, then somebody tried to kill him. Born as a, of a virgin, but then someone tried to kill him. Some other stuff happened. Oh, he's tempted in the wilderness. What is all this jaggedness in the middle? I told you the devil never stopped hunting him. People never stopped trying to kill him. That's his life. Then we reach down lower, the Garden of Gethsemane. His lowest point, the cross. On the upswing, the resurrection, at which point he becomes the door. How do we put all this together? 
every aspect of Jesus' life mattered in order for him to become the door, not just the cross. You see, for every time the devil came after him, if he ever fell for it, him being a born of a virgin don't matter. Him being the son of God don't matter. Him going to the cross don't matter because he's no longer the sacrifice needed to get it done. Every time somebody came after him, if he retaliated, being born of a virgin don't matter. Going to the cross don't matter. If he ever cussed somebody out, if he ever pimp slapped somebody, got mad at somebody for stepping on his sandal, I can't say his shoe, stepping on his sandal and went off, if he ever took vengeance in his own hands, if he ever did anything to taint who he needed to be to become the precious lamb of God, he could not be the righteous sacrifice. He could never become the door. Even if he died on the cross and he resurrected, but he sinned, it would do you and I no good. Every aspect of Jesus' life was, is, something that mattered and him being able to be the door we needed him to be. And we know that even though he lived this life where he was constantly hunted, we know that he did it successfully because Hebrews tells us this. Look at this. The book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, easy to read, says this. We have a great high priest who has gone to live with God in, he in heaven. He is Jesus, the son of God. So let us continue to express our faith in him. Jesus, our high priest, is able to understand our weaknesses. When Jesus lived on earth, he was tempted in every way. He was tempted in the same ways we are tempted, but... He never sinned. He was tempted to go off, but never did. He was tempted to fight, but never did. He was tempted to take the devil's offer, but never did. He was tempted to walk away in the Garden of Gethsemane, but never did. He was tempted, but he never sinned. That last sentence is what allows him to be the sacrifice necessary to be the sin remover for all of us. That is key. Show me this other image, please. And let's bring it to a close. What I'm trying to tell you is that the door, Jesus, the door, was not built at the cross. It was built by experience. It was built by the experiences that he had in his life. It was built by him successfully, successfully living this life. 
It was built by experience. It was built by what he went through. It was built by what he endured, not just at the cross, but across his whole life. He went through the cross, not to it. And when we talk about the door, that door that makes us righteous, that door that removes our sin, that door, as the psalmist puts it, that makes us or washes us white as snow. When we look at that door, we consider that door to be something that's snowy white. But that's not the case. If you examine that door closely, that door had been through some things. There are scratches and scrapes on that door. There are pits in that door. There's discoloration in that door. There's holes in that door. There's, there are stains in that door. That door has signs of going through life, and that's what the door looks like. It's just that it makes us white as snow. The door has been through the fire. It's been through the flood, as they say. It's been through the storm and rain, as they say. The door itself has stood the test of time. It's not just smooth. If you can feel it, there is some texture to it. That door's been beat on. The Bible says he was bruised for our iniquities. The door shows signs of having gone through this life. The door had to endure much to become much. No single action put Jesus into the position to be the door. His whole life story allowed him to become the door. Guess what, family? We are the door to the door. And as with the door, so is our doors. Our doors, too, are built by experience. And that's going to tee up our final session. Jesus became the door through experience. So we cannot, should not, must not, there's no way we can dismiss his experiences from him becoming the door. The same with you. There are experiences in your life that we cannot dismiss, whether you like them or not, that help make you the door that you are. But we will deal with that next time. Let's pray. God, 
there is so much that we could say to let you know how much we care. The Bible says that we love you because you first loved us. But really the truth of the matter is there's really no amount of love we could show you to even live up to the appreciation worthy of you sending your son to be the door back to you. So we just say thank you. If there is one thing, God, that we ask, it would be this. That we put our faith and trust in you through Christ for real. Not for show, but for real. Our worries, our cares, whatever it is, put it in your hands. Once we walk through that door, that gift of Christ, the Bible tells us that we're able to come boldly before the throne of grace. And we can find help there. But so often, God, we don't run to you. We run to a lot of other places, but not to you. So that's my prayer today. I don't know if you call it a reset. I don't know. I don't know if we call it a getting back reoriented properly. But God, just for believers to make you their primary first option for the things they need and desire in their life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.